Thanks for listening to the teaching podcast for People of Hope Church. To learn more about our ministry in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, visit peopleofhope.church. The truth of the scriptures is, is that there is one God who made all things, and the earth is his and everything in it. And every molecule that is in existence by his hand, every molecule is under his authority. There is never a moment where anything on planet earth goes rogue. There's never a moment where God is powerless or helpless or sitting back saying, I wish I could do something, but this is beyond me. Nothing is beyond God. And that includes COVID-19. Right now, you and I are not at the mercy of a virus. You and I are in the capable hands of God, and he is telling his story through our days. And however many days you have with your life, and however many days I have with my life, those are not determined by COVID-19. They are determined by the plan of God, who works all things together for our good. He works all things together for our good. Throughout the Bible, we see God's people brought to moments. What will they do in these moments when an enemy is pursuing them, when they are given a call to bow down to false gods and idols, what will they do? When the early church in the book of Acts with the stoning of Stephen in Acts chapter 7, what will the early church do in the face of persecution where Christians are being killed and pursued? What will happen? What will they do? How will they respond? And this is a complete different moment. This is not a Christian-focused persecution. This is not uh, an enemy with guns or weapons coming at us. But there is right now a global emergency. There are countries on this planet right now that are on entire lockdown. There are countries where there aren't enough hospital beds. There are countries where there are sick and dying. And there is great and terrible fear. And there's a wave of sickness coming across the planet because we are so connected. Not because the virus is so strong, but because we are so connected. We travel, we go places, we're around people all the time, and this is how this sickness travels. But this brings us to a different kind of moment. This is our moment as God's people. This is the moment in history when we as Christians have an opportunity to respond to this moment. What will we do? What will be our response? I've entitled my message this morning, Global Emergency in Christian Greatness. Because I believe with all my heart that this is a moment for you and for me as the people of God, as the people of Jesus, to demonstrate some great things in the way we live, in the way we handle this crisis, in the way we respond. Let's respond out of what God has done for us and what we believe God will do down the road because he is always faithful. Amen? He's always faithful. I've been praying about and thinking about what to speak on this morning and what to talk about. And there was a lot of great sort of angst in me this week of should we even be together. But I believe God wants us to be together today to encourage each other and to lean on each other, to be reminded. Like we sang in this song just a moment ago, there's a million reasons to trust you. 
There's a million. I needed to hear that this morning. I wondered, should we meet or not meet? And we've got a break coming up with schools, and then we've got spring break and all those kind of things. And just being real with you this morning, I'm thinking, man, our church is young. Our church is fragile. I don't want to take three weeks off or close to a month off. We, we don't need that. We, I don't need to trust in those things or worry about those things. Our church is in the hands of God, too. There's a million reasons to trust him. So here we are together, and what God did put on my heart for us today are some ways that we are to respond in this moment with some greatness. I want to give you a few things today. We'll walk through these, and we're going to let God's Word speak to us throughout each of them. Number one, this is a time for God's people to practice great wisdom. This is a time for God's people to practice great wisdom. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 15 says this, up on the screen. There we go. <laughs> the way of fools seems right to them, but the wise listen to advice. Let's hang here for a moment. The way of fools seems right to them, but the wise listen to uh, advice. We want to show great wisdom in these days. It may seem right to you to think, I don't feel bad, so I can go and do whatever I want. It may seem right to you that this is overblown and all of the cancellations and closings are overreactions. But we don't want to be fools. We want to be wise and we want to listen to advice. God has put leaders over us, over our nation, over our, our county, or over our state, over our city, over our schools, over our offices. And all those people are carrying heavy burdens right now. So let's be people who are wise. And let's not contribute to the problem by disregarding how we've been instructed to behave over these next few weeks. It may seem right to us that we can go and do. It may even seem right to us in darker corners of our pridefulness that we know better or that we are exceptions. But we're going to get through all of this as we follow wise protocols laid out by physicians and professionals. This is a time to practice great wisdom. You and I are going to end up loving our neighbors by limiting our interactions with them. This virus, from what I understand, I'm not a physician, this virus is spread by person-to-person -person contact. Usually, the virus is carried in droplets, and it gets into your mouth or your eyes or your nose. And from you touching um, your eyes, mouth, or nose after you've come in contact with the virus or by someone else sort of breathing or spraying those virus-contaminated droplets into your face, one of those ways. You and I are going to love our neighbor by not being around our neighbor a lot. School's closed. This isn't just a holiday for you. This is wisdom. So let's not be prideful or stubborn, but let's show great wisdom and take the advice this week. Practice great wisdom. Number two, this is a time for God's people to be great, to demonstrate great love, to demonstrate 
great love. The Bible is full of passages that, that show his people are to be loving. The Bible is full of great places where you and I are to, um, to, to follow the command to be loving. But I love this one in Philippians. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or, or vain conceit, not about selfishness. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Verse 4, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Again, we're going to love our neighbors by not being around our neighbors. Even further, be mindful and aware of senior adults or elderly folks in your neighborhood and community. Check on them and care for them. In ancient times, we read in the Bible how people, when they had sickness, they were avoided. Let's make sure that we don't live people who are struggling to fend for themselves. People of God, rise up with great, great love. This is a moment for us. This is our time to shine, to say we're going to step into your need and we're going to provide for it. Now, there are some ways that you can be smart about that. If you've got an elderly neighbor next door, take them a package of goodies and leave it on their front porch and give them a call or a text or something and say, hey, I'm leaving so we don't breathe on each other, but I washed my hands thoroughly and I put together a package for you and it's on your front porch. Do you need anything else? Let's care for them and be thoughtful for them. Can I run to the store for you? Can I go get something for you? Can I go pick up something for you? Transportation and getting out is going to be a big deal. I read a story uh, just two days ago uh, about a couple that were tearful in the parking lot of a grocery store because they were, they were elderly and they were absolutely terrified to go in the grocery store because in their minds they were thinking that just breathing in the air in the grocery store could, could lead them to death. People are going to have different levels of fear. People are going to have different levels of anxiety. And those who are oldest in our society are the most vulnerable in these days. Let's love them. Let's serve them. Let's care for them. I love how restaurants in our city right now are responding for the kids who are not having school this week. And um, while those kids may be depending on that breakfast or lunch at the school day because of their household income or because they've got parents who aren't on the ball, uh, some of the, the restaurants in town are stepping up to offer free meals to cover these kids who are not getting the meal they could normally depend on. Let's participate in some of that. Let's figure out how we can love our neighbor in the midst of this global emergency. Let it be said of the people of Jesus that we rose up with great love for others. It's so easy, and I've been in there with you this week. How does this crisis affect me? How does this affect me? How does this impact me? What's this going to change for me? What does this mean for me? Well, I'm right in there with you. I've been thinking all those thoughts this week. But I believe with all of my heart that in this moment, there is an opportunity for the people of God to rise up and not think about our own interests, not to think of ourselves only, but also to look out and to consider the interests of others. Don't avoid those who are sick. Love them, serve them. This is a moment for us to rise up, to demonstrate great love. Number three, it's a time for God's people to be great, to exercise great discipline. 
to exercise great discipline. And you may be tempted to think, well, right now he's about to talk about the fact that we're all going to be in our houses for a couple of weeks and we're just going to eat all day long. That's not where I'm going, but that's probably all of us need to hear that. But in Proverbs 18, look at this verse here. This, the tongue has the power of life and death and those who love it will eat its fruit. Your words have power in the middle of a crisis. Your postings on social media have power in the middle of a crisis. Practice great discipline. Even though you may some of the wor- know some of the worst case scenario facts, keep those to yourself. Even though you may hear someone say, I think we're going to be okay, and even though you've got four really good reasons of why we might not though and the zombies might rise up, keep that to yourself. In these days of global emergency, let's be men and women of great discipline and use our words to speak hope, not panic. Speak hope, not panic. Whenever someone has a glass half-empty comment to make, that is your opportunity to point them to God and that God can do anything and the story's not over. This is a moment for people to have courage poured into them. This is a moment for us to do our part and to rise up and to be great with holding our tongue. And that goes for our leaders as well. This is not the moment to criticize and blame. This is the moment to support. Someday, 10 years from now, some doctoral student will write a dissertation on how all of this was handled or could have been handled better. Let's wait for that to happen down the road. Right now, let's lock arms and lean in on each other. This is a moment for God's people to demonstrate supportive, optimism, confidence, allegiance, and obedience to our leaders. This is a moment for us to be really disciplined with our words in your household. You have the ability to frame this circumstance for your kids and you can lead them to fear or lead them to hope. In your office, among your friends, in your online communities, in your social media accounts, you have the opportunity to cast vision of doom or vision of hope. God has given us a moment and while others are thinking, The world's over. Grab all the toilet paper you can get. These are the days for us to lift our community and say, we're going to get through this together. And none of that is is based on a false promise. Nobody is saying that, that some of us won't get sick. Some of us might get sick. It might get really bad. It might get really rough. We're not making any promises about those things because we don't know epidemiology and we are not physicians and we're not experts in these things. We've never walked this road before. Oh my goodness, these are unprecedented days. We are not making crazy promises about the stock market or businesses and schools and summer vacations and all of those things. We're saying we have hope in God and we believe there's a million reasons to trust him and this little microscopic virus is causing a big old stir but it is nothing compared to him let's point people to hope when they feel alone remind them they've got us when they feel fearful remind them that we'll get through this together Be on your guard, dear ones, with how you speak and with what you post. 
I would even say, <laughs> do yourself a favor and catch the news, the news headlines somewhere and then turn it off. Because the rest of it is just pondering the worst cases and what else might happen that no one else knows is going to happen. And all that does is erode our confidence in God. You and I are called to have the patient posture of trust to waiting how God works in these days. It might get worse. It might get better. But through it all, we're going to trust the Lord. Be disciplined with your words. Be disciplined with your posting. Be strategic in how you speak to your family and your friends. Exercise great discipline with your tongue. Number four, opportunity for the church to be great, for God's people to be great, to have great hope in Jesus. To have great hope in Jesus. Look with me in Colossians chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Paul writes to this church and says, Since then you have been raised with Christ meaning you're born again, you're a new believer in him, you've trusted in what Jesus accomplished through his death on the cross and his resurrection, that when Jesus died, God accepted that as payment in full for sin, that God poured out his wrath on Jesus, and that God's uh, righteous requirements have been satisfied when Jesus sacrificed on the cross. You've believed in that, then you've gone from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of the sun, you've been born from death to life. You've been filled with the Holy Spirit. You have been sealed up for eternity in heaven. When that's true, since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. Time out. Set your hearts on things above. Dwell on the things above. Dwell on the greatness of God in Jesus. Great, dwell on hope in Jesus. Dwell on the truth of what else says elsewhere in Colossians, that Jesus is holding all things together. Dwell on that. Set your heart on things above. And the, the idea is like a dial. It's like a switch. You've got to get to your heart and switch it. Set it on Jesus. Set it on hope in him. And then he goes on to say, not just your heart, but your mind. The things you're dwelling on. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. And then verse 3, he gives us the context of our lives. For you've died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Your citizenship is not simply in Rutherford County or in Tennessee or in the United States. Your citizenship is in heaven. And if you are in Christ if you've believed in him and had your sins forgiven, then your eternity is set and fixed in heaven and your life is hidden in him. And if the virus comes knocking at your door and if it takes a toll on your life to take your life, there is no reason to fear because to, to live is Christ and to die is gain for heaven is yours for all eternity and Christ is yours in heaven. For we've died to the world We've died to the prison of fear on this planet. We have died to our citizenship and dependence on how things go on this earth. Our lives are hidden in Christ. 
protected. They are garrisoned. They are built around in terms of structures of refuge and fortress. You and I are safe and secure in Jesus. That's our hope. I don't have a hope that's based on me being a good boy of doing all the good things on the good list and avoiding the things on the bad list. I have not done those lists well. How about you? My hope is not in my accomplishments or my resources or my intellect or my ability to be a good person. My hope is not in silly things like church attendance or reading my Bible or giving money to things. My hope is not in my behavior. My hope is in what Jesus did on the cross. And that is my hope for heaven in all eternity. And that is my hope for every day that I wake up. Because I am a stranger and an alien passing through this life. My days here are just like a mist and a vapor. Because I am sealed up for heaven for all eternity. That is my home. That's where I'm headed. And that defines my every day. So people of God, in the midst of this global emergency, and it is an emergency, it's a threat, it's a big deal, you and I need to rise up and respond with a hope, a quiet confidence down deep, hope, not a fingers crossed wish, but a hope. My Jesus conquered death and hell and the grave, therefore I will not fear COVID-19. We have hope. Our life is hidden in Christ. Let's keep reading a little bit in this verse. For our life is hidden in God. In verse 3, for when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. This is our destiny. This is where we are headed. This is the plan of our lives. This is our future. So therefore we have hope. We grieve differently when we experience loss because we believe that in Christ, those who've believed and have gone on before us, we will be reunited with them again. And we experience crisis differently because our hope is not in the stuff of earth. Our hope's in Jesus. Our hope's not even in our government. Our hope's not even in some sort of test that they can put out. Our hope's not in some sort of vaccine they can provide. Our hope is in Jesus. We depend on our government. We trust in our healthcare system. We pay attention about to these tests, and we certainly take vaccines if there's an opportunity to do so for this virus. But our hope is in Jesus. You and I have an opportunity in these days to demonstrate where our hope is. Your life is sealed in his hands and he is holding you together. So dwell on him. Set your heart on him. Set your mind on him. Don't dwell on all the things you're missing. Don't dwell on all the things that could go wrong. Don't dwell on how bad it could get. Dwell on Christ. And dwell on things above. Set your mind there. Because when the enemy can get you 
thinking about what can go wrong, he will lead you to fear. And when the enemy leads you to fear, he is leading you not to trust God. Hope in him. Great hope should rise up in us. I hope you'll pray a lot. I hope you'll read your Bible a lot. I hope you'll dig into some Bible reading plans on the Bible app. I hope you'll watch some of the videos on Right Now Media, some things that will help feed your soul to hope in Jesus more and more and more. Let's set our heart and minds on him in these days. And lastly, number five, this is a great opportunity for us to display great faith in God, to demonstrate great faith, to display great faith in God. One of my favorite stories is actually uh, in the Old Testament is connected to one of the songs we sang a minute ago. Uh, Open your scriptures to 2 Kings chapter 6. 2 Kings chapter 6. You may recall the, the, the episodes in the life of the apostle Elijah and the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel and the dramatic ways that the prophet was used of God. He was succeeded as a prophet. Elijah was taken up by God. He was succeeded as the prophet for God's people by a man named Elisha. Elisha became the prophet, the man of God. What that meant at that point is that he was God's mouthpiece. He was God's messenger. He was God's representative. He spoke for the Lord. He was uh, the one who led them in the things of God. He communicated what God wanted to communicate to the people, often the king and also the people. And in 2 Kings chapter 6, we have a really amazing episode with Elisha. It says, verse um, 8, Now the king of Aram was at war with Israel. Aram is in uh, present-day Syria, just north of Israel. Aram was at war with Israel, and after uh, conferring with his officers, he said, I will set up my camp in such and such a place. And the man of God sent word to the king of Israel, Beware of passing that place, because the uh, Arameans um, are going down there. But So the king of Israel checked on the place indicated by the man of God. And time and again, Elisha warned the king so that he was on his guard in such places. Okay, time out. Let me set the scene for you again. King of Aram is going against the king of Israel and the people of Israel at war. But God is telling the man of God, Elisha, where the king of Aram is going to set up. And Elisha, the man of God, is passing that on to the king of Israel and say, hey, don't go there. So now the king of Aram is ticked off because every time he goes to set up a battle and goes to attack, the Israelites already know what's going to happen because God's been telling Elisha, the man of God. So verse 11, this enraged the king of Aram and he summoned his officers and demanded on them, tell me which of us is on the side of the king of Israel? Is there a spy in our council? That's what he's asking. None of us, my lord, The king said one of his officers, but Elisha, the prophet who is in Israel, he tells the king of Israel the very words you speak in your bedroom. So the king says, go and find out where he is, he ordered, so I can send men and capture him. And the report came back, he is in Dothan. 
Then he sent horses and chariots and a strong force there, and they went by night and surrounded the city. And when the servant of the man of God, so Elisha's servant, when he got up and went out early in the morning, probably up on the roof of their home, uh, these single-dwelling homes that would go up on the rooftop in the morning because it was cool, when he got out and went out early in the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. And this is the words of the servant. Oh no, my Lord, what shall we do? Does that sound familiar for our times? Oh no, Lord, what shall we do? The servant asked. Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed Open his eyes, open the eyes of my servant, Lord, so that he may see. And the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. In this moment where it looked like the army of Aram had surrounded Dothan, and they, they were saying, it may look like we're surrounded, but we're surrounded by him, is what Elisha was telling his servant. God, open his eyes so he can see what's going on and things that he can't see. There are angels and armies of God at work all around. The servant is responding in this crisis actually in a way that's quite understandable. Oh no, what are we going to do? Because from what we see, this looks really bad. And Elisha said, God, show him that you are always doing more than we can see. And friends, in this global emergency, these are the days for God's people, for the people of Jesus, to rise up with great faith to say, I can't see the virus, I can't see the angel armies, but here's what I know, God's always doing more than I can see. I believe that. God's always doing more than I can see. Our God is always at work for his glory and for our good. Oh no, what shall we do was met with those who are with us are more than those who are with them i don't know how god's moving but i know he is i don't know how long this is going to last but i know god has a timetable for it i don't know what the solution is going to be but i know god does and i don't know how big this virus is I don't know what all nooks and cranny it's gotten into. I checked again this morning so far. There's just one confirmed case in Rutherford County. I don't know how long that's going to stay the deal. But here's what I know. However big and scary this virus is, our God is more than capable of handling it. So the response of God's people cannot be to join in the chorus of, oh no, what shall we do? The response of God's people has got to be, he is more than this virus. And God is always doing more than we can see. Trust God. Your steady trust will become hope to others in panic. I'll say that again. Your steady trust can become hope to others in panic. Why, why are you not freaking out right now? Well, I'm a Christian, and I believe God made all things, and he's got 
got this well in hand. How, how are you not panicked right now and afraid? Because I know the way the world goes is not really up to people or a virus. It's in the hands of God. Your steady trust can become hope for panicked people around you. Speak about it. Not just, I think it'll blow over. I think we will have found we, we overreacted. I think it won't be as bad as other things, but I'm trusting God. I'm trusting God. In this moment, let's make sure people are looking to Him so that when it's done, we have story after story after story of a person who said, felt like our society was breaking down. We were in a global emergency. We were in a declared national emergency, but that's when I met Jesus. Wouldn't you love for those stories to come up after the end of this crisis? I met Jesus because I ran into a Christian who while everyone else was saying, what shall we do? They were trusting in God and they told me how I could know the Lord. Let's pray.